Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you again for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for all that are here this morning, and I just ask that you would be with us as we're looking at your word. I pray that you would, uh, Lord, open up this word to us in wisdom and power, and I pray that you help us all to walk away from this having learned more about who you are and what your word has to say. In your name I pray, amen. Uh, In Acts chapter 6 is where we're at, and I'm jumping right in today, and this is going to seem kind of unusual because... uh, You're going to find as I go through today's uh, message, in fact, uh, Steve Simpkins uh, last week asked me how I was going to handle this because there's a big, long section in here, and uh, I'm going to talk about how I'm going to handle that in just a a second. But I'm going to jump right in, and that's the first way I'm going to handle this. Acts chapter 6, verse 8, and I've got the slides up here for you. It says, and Stephen, by the way, who's Stephen. Yeah, one of the the deacons, right, that was just last week we talked about, one of the men that was picked. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Right, we just heard about Stephen in verses 3 and verse 5, talked about him. There we hear he's full of the spirit and wisdom. That's uh, verse 3. Verse 5, it says he's a man full of faith. He's the one uh, servant among the, the, the group that are mentioned that has this extra description, a man full of faith. I read that I thought, well, what, what are you filled with? I thought I could really go down that route. What are you filled with? Because I think in some measure, you're controlled by whatever fills you up, right? But Stephen is clearly full of grace, power, the spirit, wisdom, full of faith. Stephen is also clearly a man with many gifts from God. He's doing signs and wonders. This kind of reminds me of Jesus. Did Jesus get descriptions like this? Full of grace and truth. Isn't that Jesus? I think we're going to see as we go here through here that you're going to see that there's a lot of things about Stephen that are going to remind you of Jesus and what he's like. But when I read this, you know, we read this first verse and we think, wonderful. How, how are, how's the, the, the multitude of people, other than those that are coming to believe in Jesus, how's the rest of humanity responding to Jesus so far? Hmm? Not very well, right? Want to kill him? Hey, can you imagine? Here's Stephen full of grace and power doing great wonders and signs. How do you think a few of those scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, maybe some of the others, how do you think they're responding to this? When they see him speaking full of grace and power and doing wonders, do you think they're like, that is so nice? Think of something different? To, to illustrate how they might respond... I've got behind me here some rocks. I'm going to put the first one up here because I imagine that some of them, when they saw Stephen, there may have been a few that picked up a stone and thought, man, I'd like to knock that guy out. So already, Stephen, full of grace and power, is stirring up something within many people. In fact, we're reading the very next verse. Then some... Of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, which this synagogue is a, was a synagogue of uh, Greek-speaking former slaves. So people that had been slaves before. Um, this is the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. And then it goes through some other synagogues. And of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So the, these people are coming from other places and they rise up and here Stephen is conveying something. And these people are rising up and disputing with him. 
I think the most interesting one in that bunch is Cilicia. That's actually Paul the Apostle's home region. Paul's not called Paul yet. He's called Saul. I think Paul probably attended that synagogue, and it's quite possible that from the context, he may have been the ringleader of that Cilician synagogue. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Again, a little bit like Jesus, isn't it? I think from our Bible reading this, just this last week, there's a passage in Mark that we were reading where it talked about people having difficulty withstanding Christ's teachings, being able to stand up against that. Have you ever wondered what it would have been like to debate with somebody like this? Maybe you've talked to some people. Sometimes they're full of themselves. That's not what Stephen was full of, was it? He was full of grace, power, full of the Spirit, full of faith. And so you can imagine as they're disputing and talking with him, you have to ask as well, where did this come from? I mean, we, didn't, we hadn't even heard of Stephen before this. Just, just a few verses ago, we first heard, hear about him. He's not one of the apostles. He's just somebody that's, that's a servant in the church. Where did this full of grace and power come from? In Luke chapter 21, when Jesus was still on the earth, he, write, he said this. He said, before all of this, he's talking about the end times. He says, before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, prisons and you will be Uh, brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Like that word opportunity is thrown in there. He goes on to say, settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. Speaking about these situations, not in general, not in teaching, but in these when these opportunities come up, don't worry about it. You don't have to have everything worked out in advance to know exactly what to say to each thing. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. That's exactly what's happening right now with Stephen, isn't it? This is not an excuse not to study the Bible, as we're going to see in just a minute as we read some of Stephen's speech. You're going to see that Stephen clearly knew his Bible. The idea here is that you don't have to have every single opportunity figured out in advance. Sometimes those opportunities come up, and God says when they do, I'll bring wisdom to your mouth. He goes on to say, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Do you think Stephen is believing this promise? Do you think he maybe had heard this and he's believing this as he's disputing? I absolutely think so. But notice part of this promise is hatred. So Stephen is disputing And they're unable to withstand his dispute. Do you think there might be another one? Can you see some of them fuming in the crowd? Have you ever talked to somebody that had really really good logic and you're like, you can't work your way around it? And you know in the back of your head you're wrong. Have you ever had that happen? Like, I know I'm wrong. It says, it goes on, it says that they, then they secretly instigated men who would say, we, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. How could they have thought that they were doing this? They have to secretly instigate people. How in the world are they still thinking they're on the right side here? But man, hatred can make you blind, can't it? Hatred can make you so blind to what you're doing. As they stirred up the people, 
and the elders and the scribes, they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. We've heard him say that Jesus is going to... Now, Jesus didn't say he was going to... Now, Jesus said the temple would be destroyed. In another place, he said that he said you can destroy this temple, referring to himself, and I'll raise it again in three days. Not talking about the actual temple, but talking about himself. And that actually came true. But they're stirring up lies. He's speaking against Moses. Do you think that the Jews had great reverence for Moses? Absolutely. Do you think there may have been a few more? He's talking against who? Moses. Destroy this place? This is our temple. Maybe there's even a few that had already grabbed a stone and were just thinking, man, I'd like to kill this guy. Chapter 7 starts off and says, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. And uh, the last verse of uh, chapter 6 says, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. It's interesting because in Exodus, when it talks about after Moses, now they're saying he's speaking against Moses. Moses, after Moses had spent some time with God, it says that he came down from the mountain and his face shone because he'd been speaking with God. I mean, of all the people in this story, who's the most like Moses right now? Stephen. Here they're stirring up the crowd saying, he's speaking against Moses. And yet they're looking at him going, like he's like an angel. There's something about him that just... You think that changes their minds? What do you think? No. In fact, do you think the ones that are full of hatred, the hatred that Jesus promised, if you are like Jesus, there's going to be people that are full of hatred for you. You think those people that are full of hatred, do you think that seeing his face shine like an angel, angel, do you think that calmed the hatred or do you think it increased it? Get a bigger one. I don't care what he looks like, right? I don't care who he is. Ready. A kill. Chapter 7 says in the high priest... They're in the council now. High priest said, are these things so? Now, Acts chapter 7 is going to begin with this response of Stephen. Stephen's now going to respond. We have his words recorded for us. This, what I'm going to read to you just now, this is the longest sermon in the book of Acts that's recorded. Longer than any of Paul's. Longer than any of Peter's, James, John, any of the other. Stephen's sermon has been kept for us. I thought about breaking this down, and there's, there would be some great things we could do if we could just break this down. I even thought about expanding it over a few weeks. But the more I looked at this, uh, the more I thought, man, it's, I don't want it to, to tear it apart at all. I just want to, I mean, in and of itself, it's just so good. So I want to try this. I want to try to just read this through to you. Just read Stephen's response. And I want you just to listen to what he said. Just just hear it and try to put yourself back 2,000 years ago almost and and hearing Stephen. This 
nobody, really, standing before a council of Jewish elders, scribes, priests, Sadducees, Pharisees, the people with all the power, and Stephen the nobody, standing up and responding. I think as you listen to this, you're going to hear, because not only is this the longest, by the way, not only is this the longest sermon in the book of Acts, um, th- this is, this is one, of the, one, one of the longer ones. I mean, there's a few others that are longer, but this is one of the longer ones that are recorded, one of the longer speeches recorded in the Bible, other than Jesus himself. I think as you listen to him, you'll hear that Stephen isn't the one that's misunderstanding Moses. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? You're going to hear Stephen going through Genesis and Exodus, talking about those stories of old, and he's going to be basically saying, I'm not the one misunderstanding Moses. You are. How do you think these scribes and Pharisees, the studied elite, how do you think they're going to respond to Stephen the nobody teaching them about Moses? How do you think they're going to respond? Is it going to be like this? No. Do you think as, as I'm reading this speech of Stephen, do you think there's even, maybe they're in the temple area, maybe there's some stones like that might look like this laying around. I think some of these might be picked up. And I'd like to hit just shut him up. Thinks, who does he think he is to teach us about Moses? Who does he think he is? So I want you to listen to this, this speech of Stephen's. It starts off, Stephen speaks, and as I'm reading this, one last little thought here as I'm reading this, this is also Stephen's final speech, if you know the story of Acts. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And and after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but, but promised to give it to him as a possession to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who, <clears throat> belonged to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But God says, but I will judge the nation that they serve. And after, they, and after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. He gave them the covenant. He gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs, their fathers. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions. And gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he, 
He sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. Jacob went down into Egypt. And he died, he and our fathers. They were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had brought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became uh, an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look. There came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, this Moses, whom they rejected, keep that in mind, saying, who made you ruler and judge? This man, God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness uh, with the angel who spoke. Uh, To him at Mount Sinai with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. They made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship, uh, to, uh, to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Molech and the star of your god Rephan, uh, the the images that you made to worship, 
and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is this place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? I'm almost done, but before I do, have you heard again and again the Israelites miss it? They miss it. They miss it. They rejected Moses. They rejected Joseph again and again. Their fathers, the fathers of the people that Stephen is talking to, rejected again and again. I have this up on the slide as he ends his speech. You stiff-necked people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Picture that counsel. Having Stephen the nobody instruct them on Moses. And pointing out that their fathers rejected Moses initially. I think they responded. Are they okay with that? No. I think it stirred up even more within them. A desire to kill, to shut this man up. Do you think there was a few more that may have thought, and maybe reached down and grabbed and thought, man, I'm going to, I'd love to just... Kill this guy. To quiet his mouth. Who does he think he is? Uneducated nobody. Instructing the council. Stephen continues. He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Interesting, isn't it? You see what he's saying? Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now Betrayed and murdered. You killed the prophets that were talking about Jesus. Now you've killed Jesus. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. They're just like their ancestors, the ones that killed the prophets. Clearly Stephen knew the word of God, didn't he? Do you think, though, that Jesus kept his word and at this moment God just gave him a mouth for wisdom to say exactly what needed to be said? I mean, in a very real sense, I think, man, he put them in their place. I think for Stephen, it's simpler than that. He's just trying to be like Jesus. Jesus when he talked about the Old Testament, pointed to the fact that it, it, it revealed himself. In fact, I have this verse here, John 5.39 says, this is Jesus speaking, he says, 
when he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus points out so many different times that this Old Testament is always pointing ahead to me. And here's Stephen, what he's saying, these prophets that prophesied of old, Moses, when he said there's going to come a prophet like me from amongst your brothers, this is going to happen in the future, this is going to happen, and then it happened and you missed it. But like Jesus, Stephen preaches from the Old Testament and points to Jesus. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. So angry that words aren't necessarily even coming out of their mouths or just... I think there may have been a few more. Grab a few more little rocks here. Do you think there may have been a few more? Grabbing what's around them, Right? Maybe there's a few that are just lofting it in their hands, just going. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There's There's a lot of interesting things you can read about what this could mean. Usually when it describes Christ, it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but in this case, what's he doing? Standing. A lot of people have a a lot of different ideas about that. I, I don't know which one of them is accurate, but I think it's significant. That as this man, Stephen, this nobody, is so much like Jesus, I can't help but think in some degree, whether it was a tradition or not, I think in some degree, Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. I don't want to be silly, but I think in some sense he was like saying, that's how it's done. That's what it looks like. He said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. There's two places where he mentions this, the fact that he's standing This is the last straw for this group. They were fuming, enraged, teeth, grinding. And then this nobody has the audacity to look up at the sky and say, I see Jesus. He's at the right hand of the Father standing there. They cried out, I think we're missing a slide. But they cried out with a loud voice. It says, it's not up there, I'm sorry. And stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city. city, It says, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Again, like Jesus. Isn't it so much like, just like Jesus? You picture Jesus on the cross. What's one of the last things he does? He said, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's so much like this. And they're saying, this is, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Spirit, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
just like Jesus. When he said this, he fell asleep. Committing his spirit to God. Now, obviously, I've got these stones up here to illustrate what's going on. I can't help but think about this stoning of Stephen. I mean, can you just, let's just be honest for a minute. Can you imagine this event? Can you imagine being Stephen at this point? Imagine a crowd around you so angry and then they begin to pick up stones after they've dragged you out of the city and they pick up stones and loft them. What would that feel like? You picture it in your head? Can you imagine that? That's what happened to Stephen. That's what happened to a guy who said, I am going to be like Jesus. A man who was full of faith. Full of faith. This is his end. You could say it's a new beginning. But on this earth, this was how he ended. A crowd that hated him, who picked up stones and threw them at him until he died. Powerful, isn't it? This man, Stephen. I remember when I was younger... And some of you will remember this. Do you remember the, I think it was a Gatorade commercial where they, they said, I want to be like Mike. Anybody remember that? I want to be like Mike. You guys remember that? Who do you want to be like? Probably not Mike anymore. You want to be like Jesus? See, it's easy to say that on Sunday, isn't it? I want to be more like Jesus every day. Here's a picture of somebody who was like Jesus. All the way to the end. Do you really want to be like Jesus? I think in our civilized society, we may never have anyone actually pick up stones and throw them at you, but you better believe if it wasn't so civilized in America. Maybe as our civilization falters a little bit. You better believe that regardless, there's some people that as you are more and more like Christ, you better believe there's going to be some people in your life. They may not have a real stone, but in their head, it's there. And they want to shut you up. They want to shut you up. And they want to stop you from being like this. Just you, just being like Jesus is an affront to everything that they stand for. As you seek to live a righteous life, as you seek to live and speak about the things of God, it's not about the fact that you're a jerk, it's just you being like Christ. Preaches against their sinful existence. And they want to quiet that voice. And quiet your life. Like I said... We may not encounter this, but you better believe there's some people that in their heads exactly what they'd love to do. When I was working through this and coming to the end, there's a part of me that wanted to lay out some bullet points. Man, sermon, uh, Stephen's sermon was just 
it was good enough all on its own. I thought about laying out some applications, but I think it's clear. You want to be like Christ? You want to be like Him? Think through, or like Jesus said, consider the cost. Count the cost of what it may cost you in the long run. Are you willing to really be like Jesus? I'm going to pray in closing. I'm going to encourage you to go through the rest of this week thinking about Stephen. We just read his final speech and his final words. Stephen is now famous. He's not a nobody anymore. I couldn't tell you the names of the men on the council. I couldn't tell you the names of uh, uh, all the other important figures that were present that day. There's a couple that stand out in our minds. In fact, there's one, not because of which side he was on, but which side he turned to after Stephen. We know his name was Saul. They were laying down their garments at his feet while they were stoning Stephen. He was overseeing the process. But Stephen the nobody, just full of faith, full of grace, full of the Spirit, is now known as Christianity's first martyr. First one to take it all the way to the end. I can't help but think that Stephen today is still rejoicing that he was counted worthy, though a nobody, to be the one that got picked, to be the first, to die, not just beaten, but to die for the sake of Christ, for his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask now as we consider Stephen Lord, on one hand, I I think, Lord, we need to be reverential of this man as as we read today his last words recorded for us in your word. Lord, help us not to forget Stephen. On one hand, was just a servant in the church. Lord, a servant who was filled with your spirit. God, I pray that we would, as as a people, daily... Lord, because we can't make this happen. But Lord, let us daily, when we read your word and we're, we're praying, Lord, let it be a prayer of our own to say, Lord, whatever it costs, whatever it may mean, Lord, I want to be like you. Help me to be like you all the way to the end. Lord, help me to rise to that. Lord, I know that in and of myself, I would never have the, the strength and the courage and the the, the ability to, to stand up the way Stephen did, but, but even Stephen, on the one hand, just a servant. Or when he was a servant full of your grace and your power and your spirit, has been remembered. Lord, let us pray that way. Or that we might also be willing to stand up, to live, not just with words, but with deeds live for the sake of Christ and for the sake of your name. Lord, if it comes to it, I God, I ask that you would give us the grace to go all the way to the end. Lord, none of us, most of us may never have that opportunity, but Lord, if, if it comes, help us, God, to be ready for that, to be willing 
be able to take it all the way to the end to even say, Father, forgive them. And to commit our spirits to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.